Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today, we had the privilege of having a conversation with Mr. Jack Park. This man is an Ohio State football encyclopedia. It was fascinating to hear him talk about coaches, his first time meeting Woody Hayes. He told us a great story about Urban Meyer and Lou Holtz. If you are a college football fan, you will enjoy this conversation on Tell Us a Good Story. The story of my life, I take her home, I drive all night to keep her warm in time, it's frozen. The story of my life... All right, Steph, I am super excited about this. This is going to be a lot of we, fun. We dressed up In honor parts. of him. Yes. In, In honor, honor of him. of our next guest. Oh, we're excited. This is pretty exciting. So... Ladies and gentlemen, our next guest is an Ohio State football radio commentator for Sports Radio 97, won the fan here in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. He is featured frequently in football programming on ESPN, the Big Ten Network, and Time Warner Cable. He's also mm-hmm. a best-selling author, award-winning speaker, and the pride of New Lexington High School. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Mr. Jack Park. Hello, Hello sir. Hello, sir. Welcome, welcome. Great, Kevin, Stephanie, hey, it's great to be with you and uh, always look forward to talking about Buckeye football. So, Jack, of course, we were thinking about where could we get some good Ohio State football stories and you're the perfect person to ask <laughs> to, right? Person. So, I guess the first thing we were wondering, what was the first game you attended like as a kid? Because like us growing up in Ohio, we're Ohio State football fans, but what was the first game that you attended as an Ohio State fan? Uh, very fortunate as a youngster. Uh, my dad uh, graduated from Ohio State University. Uh, actually graduated in engineering. He played the marching band for that matter and uh, was a huge football fan. And then my mother was uh, a graduate of Ohio University and was a, a high school history teacher. Okay. So I got my love of football from my dad and my love of history, I think, from my mother. <laughs> and uh, I'm an only child. And uh, we started going to the games when I was pretty young. And I just kind of something that uh, I just got hooked on, basically, is a love for the Ohio State football program. In fact, I think it bothered my mother a little bit the time I got to be maybe in what today we'd call middle school. Uh, she had a talk with me one time, and she said, you know, there's things in life besides sports and <laughs> <laughs> everything, but you might want to take an interest in a few other things. But I think uh, basically I've just always had a love for the Ohio State football program and everything like that. Uh, I was very fortunate that uh, a number of years ago to be asked by uh, what is now 97.1 The Fan, uh, of course, Sports Radio, to come in and, and, and start doing some commentaries for them on Saturdays. And that, of course, has expanded over the years. And uh, I do a segment on the pregame show every year, on every, every Saturday, every football Saturday, uh, with the host, Anthony Rothman. And we usually have a couple of former players on with right. us. It's all what the game is and so forth like that. And uh, I also do a lot of speaking on Ohio State football. One of the things that's been the most fun probably was writing the books and doing all the interviews uh, with the coaches and particularly doing a lot of the research and everything like that. Uh, Ohio State football has such a great history and a great tradition. And if it wasn't for that, I couldn't do what I do. So it's really the subject matter that I think it's really appealing to the people, not so much the guy that's delivering the message. Well, but the guy who's delivering the message is pretty darn good as well, quite <laughs> honestly. How you present it, the, the format, the knowledge that you mm-hmm. have. Because Steph and I were talking 
before you came on. And of course, you've written four books. You are uh, like an award-winning public speaker as well. But when you look at your books, the foreword, the introduction, it's Archie Griffin. It's Jim Trestle. It's Urban Meyer, uh, Luke Fickle, Mike Vrabel. I mean, this is like the premier Hall of Fame type people, right? And so, Jack, they don't sign up for just Joe Schmo down the street, right? So there, there's more to it that to the author than just the format, quite honestly. Well, I think anything you do in life, if uh, if you love what you do, you do the best that you can, and you do this for some period of time, you develop relationships with the people, the people that are involved, and. Uh, at this stage of my Ohio State football career, basically my relationships with those people that you just mentioned uh, are every bit as important to me, probably more important than the fact that we've won so many national championships right. and had Heisman Trophy winners and everything. In fact, three of my closest friends are Ryan Miller, okay. Luke Pickle, and Mike Vrabel, as you've mentioned. They're the second and seven foundation. Yes. As all of you are aware of, they provide uh, basically books for a lot of inner city kids that come out of homes that don't have a lot of opportunities within their homes to learn how to read. And I thought that's an excellent thing that they've done. In fact, they just celebrated the 20th anniversary of the Second Seven Foundation just last year. Wow. So uh, we've got good friends over the years in that manner. I've gotten to know Coach Day uh, some here as he's come in, and he's certainly been a wonderful, wonderful addition to the Ohio State football program. And uh, without question, his season last year was really something. What's he like behind the scenes, Jack? I mean, because from an outsider, it looks like he's intensity wise, he's a 180 from, from coach Meyer. Yeah. Well, I think, I think every head coach that we've had, let's starting with Woody Hayes and coming forward. And, and in fact, one thing we could say about that is the stability of the Ohio state coaching program. I mean, starting with Woody Hayes, which was 70 years ago oh, man. Uh, in 1951. In other words, this, this 2000, the 2020 season will be the 70th year if you include Coach Hayes' first year in 51. We've had Coach Hayes and we had Coach Bruce. We had Coach John Cooper. Of course, we had Jim Trestle. Luke Fickle did a great job in his one year as kind of the interim coach. Right. And then, of course, we've had Urban Meyer, and then what a start for Coach Day. Uh, so many programs, including the University of Michigan, they've been changing coaches every three or four years. And one of the things that's really helped Ohio State is the fact that uh, there's been so much stability. I would say Urban Meyer was probably a little bit more intense than right. Ryan Day is. Uh, Jim Trestle was truly the organization man. I mean, he was the organization man. I mean, he really was on top of everything within the, the football program. Not that the other coaches aren't, but he seemed to have a, an ability to do that that was about as, as good as I've ever seen. And, of course, Woody Hayes was just – he was Ohio State football to the nth degree. Everything was based on excellence. Uh, Bruce took over after him. Uh, John Cooper was probably, of all the coaches that I've worked with, was probably the most media-friendly Right. It was the easiest by far to get appointments with and interview the players and everything. And I don't want, I mean to indicate in any way that the others are difficult, but, but there's no question that John Cooper bent over backwards to help the media. When you think about your the coaches in the past, present, is there any that you'd get a little intimidated when you're getting ready to speak with them? Or was it always just a very easy conversation? I'd say... In the la certainly in, in the recent years, it's been very, uh, very easy because I know the coaches and I'm not at all intimidated with that. When I first started doing what I, I uh, do, 
the first coach I ever interviewed was Woody Hayes. Oh. And I was just starting. He didn't know me from Adam, but he granted me an interview. And I was nervous going in. I bet. And I had spent hours with all my questions <laughs> and everything like this. And we went in there. We never even talked about football. But he really? turned around and he had the reputation for this. He wanted to know about you. What is it you're doing? Actually, you know, I'm, I'm an MBA. I'm a CPA. I'm, I, I, I had right. a you know, pretty good career in the business world. And now I'm combined. I still do that. But I'm combining that now with football, with what we call the leadership secrets of football's master coaches. And Coach Hayes was so uh, well-educated and things far more than football. And it was really, uh, uh, I mean, uh, those interviews are things I'll never forget, but we really never talked about football, basically. Uh, I mean, he, I don't think he wanted to talk about football. He wanted to talk about other things in life and how football can be maybe a, a gateway to things in your life that, as life goes along, become more important. So that that first meeting then with, with Coach Hayes, because that was one of the things I – I was curious about like if you had met Woody Hayes. So yeah. that first meeting, like how much time did he give you? Um, I mean, I was it about an hour? Was it, it was really? Yeah, but that time he had, his office was over in what is called the ROTC building. He, of course, he retired as coach and he stayed on. And uh, Coach Hayes lived another nine years after he was uh, no longer the head coach here. And uh, we were not close friends. I don't right. want to think we were. I mean, I might do an interview with him uh, one day and I might see him at a dinner or something in a month or so after that. And he would recognize me, come up and talk. I don't think he could, could, could have come up with my name, though. I don't think he really knew my name unless I mentioned it. Then he might remember my name. And, and But can you imagine how many people Woody Hayes met over his 28 oh, years? Oh, man. Let alone. And his nine years of greatest service, in my opinion, to the Ohio State University were not nine of the years he coached, but the nine years that he lived after he was no longer coaching. Because he went out, not on the most glorious way right. possible, certainly, but he continued to devote his life to uh, people. And what, through his position at the Ohio State University, he could help people. And some of those people had never played football, but they were just people that needed some help. And maybe they were down on their luck a little bit, or there's some way he could come out and speak to a, to a boosters club meeting to help them raise money for a good cause. And he hardly ever took a paycheck for doing that. In wow. fact, when Mrs. Hayes cleaned out his office after he had passed away, she found a lot of checks that had been sent to him for speaking fees uh, that go, went back a few years. They had never been canceled. They never mm. been cashed, basically. Wow. He, just, he just never did that. Now, as a CPA, that makes you cringe, right, Jack? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, the first thing I do as a CPA. Right. You're hey, like, right. Right. It's like, how are you going to reconcile this book if you're not cashing these checks? Right. So, so do you have, so speaking of, of Coach Hayes, did you see any of his practices? Do you have a good story from uh, maybe a practice that you had seen or when you're on the sidelines or anything like that from when he was coaching? Well, Marv Holman, who's uh, Marv is still living. He's retired a number of years ago as a sports information director. And, of course, he had a lot of good experiences uh, with Woody Hayes. And soon after Coach Hayes first came in as head coach, uh, he was a little bit different. In fact, I think if you look at Hayes' three head coaching positions, first at uh, Denison University right. in 1946, then as head coach at, at Miami of Ohio in 1949, and then at Ohio State in 1951, he did not get off to a smooth start in any of those. 
it was a little rough for him. And it was a little different for the players to get to used to his style and everything. And Woody was so determined. And uh, Marv tells a story about one time that uh, he was cutting to a meeting. He was late and there was barely enough room uh, to, to, to basically park his car, except if he parked his car there, there was not enough room really to get out of the door. So some way he was able to, before he got to put the car into the parking spot, he just basically got it headed into the parking spot so he could open the door and get behind the car. And then he just pushed the car no. in. I've often wondered how he got the car out of there later right. on. One of the other cars next to it had moved or something like that. But everybody had a lot of uh, uh, funny old Woody Hayes stories. Uh, Tom Maddy was an excellent quarterback here in, in uh, 1959, 1960. In fact, he was the team most valuable player in 1960. He went on. He was uh, one of the running backs on those great Baltimore Colt teams that were so good during the 1960s when John Unitas was the quarterback and Alan Amici, the Heisman Trophy winner out of Wisconsin, was the fullback. But Tom was the running back. But he played quarterback here. And Tom was a pretty free spirit. He was always having a good time and joking around. And sometimes that got on Woody Hayes' nerve and <laughs> joking around as they're getting ready for practice. And there was this one practice that Tom was running plays, but he's having a good time. And Hayes just couldn't take it any longer. He was the board and really going to give it to him for, you got to be more serious. You got to be more serious. And he went after Tom. And so Tom started running away from him. <laughs> And Tom, then they they were on the track there at the old uh, the old track that was in Ohio Stadium, and Tom was running backwards, and he could run backwards faster than Woody Hayes could run <laughs> forward, and he'd run just fast enough that Woody couldn't catch up with him to hit him. I think Woody was going to hit him. Or something. Oh my gosh! And the other players that were watching this, I mean, they they knew they shouldn't laugh, but they could hardly help but laugh. Right. <laughs> on there uh but i think all any player that played under him for those 28 years uh would have an abundance of stories of funny things that have happened and uh and they got to and they got to he, he was fairly predictable you know they knew when to stay away from him I if bet. you fall and you're coming off the field you want to get down to the end of the bench where he is not there because he's going to let you know what he thought about that fumble woody hayes hated turnovers and didn't make it it really didn't mince any uh bones about it really Oh my gosh. Like uh, we think we think today that Urban is intense mm-hmm. or Nick Saban is intense, right? So I mean, like there was one time Jack uh, we had some friends over and, and it was one of those games of would you rather, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, would you rather be Urban Meyer's son-in-law or Nick Saban's son-in-law? And we're just like, "Oh, man, <laughs> we're like going through the positives of like Urban, like like having to meet his expectation as a son-in-law." Mm-hmm. But Compare that to what Jack just said, Woody yeah. Hayes, and you just want to stay away from this guy. Yeah. Like that's a that is another level of, of like intensity. Now I have a question. If your wife was was still here, bless her heart, you can think of numbers, you can think of statistics. <laughs> if she was here, would you be able to tell us when your first date was? What did you do? Is your mind trained to go that way, or is it more just sports oriented? Oh, I definitely remember my first date. Do you? <laughs> okay. High school, yeah, oh yeah, I remember. <laughs> I, pretty much everybody does that, and so forth. There, yeah, I remember her name was Ann Chapelier. 
And uh, I remember it was the first day. It was actually on Easter Sunday one year. And uh, we'd gone, we went to the same church and there was a youth group afterwards. So I picked her up and took her to the youth group and things like that. I do remember dates quite well. I remember Woody Hayes' first game was on September 29th of 1951. Jim Tressel's first conference game was exactly uh, what would have been uh, uh, 50 years after that on September 29th of 2001, and that was a win over at Indiana. And uh, so, you know, I, I just, you know, I think we all have disabilities for whatever reason to remember certain things. And uh, so dates and scores uh, are something I've been able to, particularly if I read it, mm-hmm. and then I seem to kind of be able to make a file of it, and, and, and then that helps me remember, uh, you know, the date and the score and everything like that. Well, we had seen something on, I think it was ESPN game day, maybe, on Coach Riley from Oklahoma. And mm-hmm. he has like mm-hmm. a photographic memory. And yes. so they tested him and said, okay, what was the play? Uh, it's three minutes, 20 seconds, and third quarter of whatever game a couple years ago. And he'd be able to rattle off what the play was, what he called, mm-hmm. the amount of yardage they got. Then they asked him, what's your wife's favorite color? And he's like, I have no idea, no clue. <laughs> he said his mind is is purely on football, right? That's where his photographic memory comes from. So that's what made us think of you. A lot of people, uh, after Vince Lombardi became so successful, a lot of people uh, interviewed him and wrote books about him and things like this. And the one book that was written called, uh, I think it was called Rush, Run to Daylight. Okay. And it's basically what his offense was, is run to daylight. You got to find that opening and so forth. And the guy interviewed him and he told all about his football knowledge and how you run the plays. And he it went clear back to his first coaching job as a high school coach at St. Cecilia High School in Englewood, New Jersey. And so the guy was asking him about St. Cecilia, and he could remember all the scores, the players, the plays, but he could not remember the colors of the team's uniform. <laughs> really? Yeah, he said he couldn't remember what the colors were. And uh, I'm sure that was probably accurate. You know, the, the people like that, like Riley and Lombardi, they remember the things that are important to them. And, and sometimes it's kind of unusual some of the things that they don't remember. Right. So where are you at, Jack, on game day? Of course, we hear you during the pregame mm-hmm. show, um, on, on the pregame call-in show and everything with Jim Lachey and, and everyone. But where are you at on game days? Are you on the stand and in the stands? Are you on the sidelines? Where, where do you watch the games from? Well, Jerry Emig, the sports information director at Ohio State, is very kind, and he's offer offers me a seat in the press box if I want a seat in the press box. Uh, for me, football has, at Ohio State has always been a family affair, and my radio work and anything else that I do is pretty well finished by game time. Okay. And I actually, I sit with my family in the stadium as opposed to up in the press box. Now, it's a little bit unusual because when I go to the away games, I get a press box pass, and I sit in the visiting stadium. In other words, I watch the Ohio State-Michigan game from the Michigan press box. And uh, I like to do that. I usually go to the out-of-town games. My family doesn't go with me. So there I join up with a lot of the other media guys that I've gotten to know over the years and uh, had a great time watching this year's Michigan game. I sat with Bill Connolly, and former assistant recruiting coordinator and former coach at Ohio Dominican. And it was just great watching, sitting there with Bill and listening to Bill explain what had happened on the field and everything like that. So at home, I'm in the stadium with my family. Away games, I'm in the press box. So 
that that leads me to what's been what's the best stadium your most memorable experience mm. at a stadium so as Steph knows uh, me and my buddies we do an annual road trip to an away game every year right tonight away high state game right so this year we're at Ann Arbor okay. last year we were at Penn State State College yeah. uh, unfortunately the year before that we we're in Iowa City okay. um, so yeah. we've seen some really good games we've seen some bad games um, and I'm amazed, and I, every time I come home, I always tell Steph how amazed I am at the scale of some of these stadiums. Like, Northwestern is literally probably half the size of yes. the shoe, right? And then Ann Arbor, Michigan Stadium, was ginormous. Like, it was, it was much bigger than I was, I was expecting. So what's, what's been maybe the best college game day atmosphere you've been to outside of Ohio Stadium? Well, I'd say... Uh it would be Urban Meyer's last game as head coach would be covering the Rose Bowl from the press box. Oh. That was very special. Uh, they handled that beautifully, the uh, the accommodations for the press. And then just the seat, basically the, the setting there, the Rose Bowl, you're watching a game, but you can look up and see the San Gabriel mm-hmm. Mountains there. Uh, the working press is allowed to get down on the field the last five minutes of the game. Now, you know, obviously, you have to stay behind the bench and on there. But And sometimes I do that, sometimes I don't. Because if you get down on the field for the last five minutes of the game, uh, you've got to leave the press box, get on the elevator, go down, and find your way onto the gate that lets you in there. You're going to miss about five to eight minutes of the fourth quarter. Oh, right. Close game. I don't want to do that. Because I, you know, but uh, if we're way ahead, I usually do that. And we were way ahead of that. In fact, that Rose Bowl tightened up a little bit more than we wanted right at the very end of the game. And uh, get down on the field. And, and, and when I do that, I usually go right behind the Ohio State bench. And I watch and I just, just observe the players and watch what's going on and the emotions of them and so forth there. And seeing that at the Rose Bowl and being there when Urban coached his last game. And then I go to the coach's press conference after the game and uh, just love to hear the after you know, the, the, the after game comments immediately after the game from the coach and to cover his last press conference was very meaningful for me. So I'd say that was one. I would say uh, this year I went to Nebraska and uh, the first time I'd ever gone to Nebraska, of course, Nebraska has only been in the big 10, just what, six years now, I believe. And we don't play them every year. Right. And I would say the friendliness of the press box at Nebraska and just the friendliness of the whole community there in Lincoln was about as good as it gets. Uh, they treated us extremely well. And we were up, I, what were we up at the half? I think 35 to 7 over Nebraska. Those fans didn't leave. They stayed. And you go most places, if you're up 35 to 7 and you're the visiting team, that home team, a lot of the fans take off. They do it at Ann Arbor. Right. I mean, they did. This year where we won, you know, yes. 50. Six to twenty-seven. Yep. But at the end of that game, there were only red jerseys yes. in the stadium. All the Michigan fans had yep. gone home. Yep. They don't do that in Nebraska. They stayed till the end. They're really, really excellent football fans, and I just found that to be very friendly. But I can't. I've never found an atmosphere that was bad. Really, I mean, yep. some are a little bit better than others, but they're all really good. Yep. Out of all of your years with high state football, can you pick out one team? that stands out to you that you could say this is the team that you'll always remember? Probably 2002, mm-hmm. second year. That one I would say, because uh, I can remember that one, and we won so many of those games just by the barest of margins. Uh, you know, we barely won out at Purdue. Of course, we barely beat Michigan. 
And a lot of people forget, Ohio State may have been looking ahead to that Michigan game in 2002, but we played at Champaign, played Illinois out at, out at Champaign-Urbana the week uh, before that game, and we were big favorites in that game. And Ohio oh, State – right. Yes, I do. Uh, and that game went into overtime. That's right. And we usually could have lost that game, mm-hmm. but we came through, and we did it time after time after time, but none better than the Fiesta Bowl. Where we came in double overtime, we were able to pull that one out of the out of the bag, as you might say, and win that Fiesta Bowl game. And just the way the team won it, and uh, Craig Krenzel was our starting quarterback that year. Craig was an excellent passer. We may have had other quarterbacks or maybe better passers, but he was really good. Craig was also an excellent runner. Now we may have had some other quarterbacks uh, that were better runners than Craig. But I don't think we ever had a quarterback that had the running ability, the passing ability, but also the ability to manage a game any better than Craig Krenzel. And uh, I just thought he did just a super job of, of running that team that year. And without him, we would never have won that national championship. So I could talk to Jack for like hours All the time. time. Yeah, I don't want to stop, honestly. But I want to, I do want to ask you about your speaking career, right? There's, there's, what's amazing, Jack, I, there's a lot about you that I was not aware of, right? So when I went to your website, jackpark.com, you'll see listeners, of course, an overview of Jack from he's a CPA, he's got his MBA, he's a bestseller, he's award-winning speaker, he does these seminars, right, mm-hmm. as well, which, which I'm fascinated by. So you have research coaches, right? And yes. you've done some presentations with some coaches as well. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? What you've done uh, in in that field? I had no idea that I would ever be in football like this. And after I'd been in the uh, corporate world for a while and had changed jobs a couple times, I really wanted to do something different. There were some elements about the corporate world that were not all that attractive to me, really. And I decided to start my own uh, professional speaking business. By that time, I had a lot of leadership experience. I'd been a chief financial officer at a couple organizations. So I started the professional speaking business, and I developed about four seminars. Basically, uh, they were business seminars. And I basically marketed those under the title Financial Insights. I also started a speaking business on football, strictly on football. That was more entertainment. I bet. Uh, out and speak to an annual meeting or, or, you know, there and talk about the, just like we're having fun talking tonight about the Ohio State football program. And I kind of kept those separate. And uh, I was advised by, I joined the National Speakers Association, which is a national association for, for, for professional speakers. And I was advised pretty strongly by a, a pretty high standing member at that time, don't do both. You'll never be very good at, if you try to do two things, pick one and really concentrate on it. Well, I did not take that advice. <laughs> and that would have been the worst advice I ever could have had. Because as the years went along, I decided to marry the two. And I developed this leadership program, which we call the Leadership Secrets of Football's Master Coaches. And it's basically how to develop leadership within the organization. If you're a corporation, a company, an association, uh, how can I come in through my leadership training and help you develop your leadership team to be much better as leaders. Now, when I saw that on your website, Jack, you have a picture on your website, jackpark.com, and it's with you with Coach Holtz. Yes. Do you have a good story you can share with us here uh, about Coach Holtz? 
Yeah, I'll tell you one that I think probably, uh, and this is a uh, basically a, uh, a story that Urban Meyer told me, basically. Urban Meyer, in fact, I heard Urban Meyer speak uh, back in my home county of Perry County just last Friday. He was back. Oh, really? Perry County, uh, they have an annual, what they call, breakfast there to raise money. He had about 400 people there to hear him speak, and he told this story back at that breakfast there just a couple weeks ago. Uh, but here, uh, when when Urban finished at Cincinnati, the University of Cincinnati and graduated, had played football there. Of course, people know he came to Ohio State as a graduate assistant, and he really connected with Earl Bruce. And he was a graduate assistant under Earl two years, his two years as a graduate student at Ohio State of 1986-1987. Now, after that, he took an assistant coaching job at Illinois State. In the meantime, Bruce was let go here, but Earl Bruce landed on his feet. He became head coach at Colorado State. And Earl's first staff included Skip Holtz as the wide receiver coach for Earl at Colorado State. After one year there, Lou Holtz, the head coach at Notre Dame, Mm -hmm. asked his son, would you like to now, I've got an opening on the Notre Dame staff, to be a wide receiver coach, would you like to move from Colorado State to Notre Dame? Naturally, he did. And when Skip left Colorado State, Earl hired Urban as Skip Holtz's replacement. Okay. Now, they spent Skip and Earl, uh, Skip and, uh, and, Lou, and Urban, spent two or three days together just in the crossover. Yes. You know, I'm coming in to take the job. Urban's coming in to take the job. And Skip Holtz is leaving the job. In those two or three days, they just connected like they'd known each other all their life. And they stayed in contact. And they really helped each other. They'd meet with each other at coaches' conventions. I think it got to the place that they even vacationed the families together. Oh, wow. Four years later, Skip gets a head coaching job at Connecticut. Two years after that, uh, Lou Holtz now needs a new wide receiver coach at Notre Dame. The gentleman that had that job and taken a head coaching job, he now has that opening again. Skip Holtz called Lou and said, hey, Dad, there's a guy out of Colorado State. His name is Urban Meyer. You need to interview him for the wide receiver job at Notre Dame. And Lou said, I never heard of this guy. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that at all. I'm not going to waste his time. I'm not going to waste my time. I know who I want to hire. And Skip wouldn't let up on it. And his dad said, no, I'm not going to interview him. Well, about two weeks later was the annual American Football Coaches uh, uh, Association annual meeting. I believe that year it was down in New Orleans. It's about a three-day meeting. And a lot the head coaches pretty much all go there. And a lot of the assistant coaches go too. The afternoon before the last day of that meeting, Skip Holtz runs on to his dad in the hall. He says, hey, Dad, I got some things I'd like to go over with you. Could we have breakfast tomorrow morning? And Lou said, sure. So the next morning, Lou is in the restaurant waiting for Skip to arrive for breakfast. In walks Skip, and guess who he has with him? Coach Meyer. He says, Dad, I'd like you to meet a good friend of mine. His name is Urban Meyer. Wow. down now Lou Holtz is a guy that's always in charge yes now all of a sudden Lou's not in charge now as Urban has told me this story they all ordered breakfast Skip ate his breakfast relatively rapidly then he looked at his watch and he says oh gee I forgot I've got a meeting I've got to go to (laughs) he got up and left the table and left Urban sitting there with his dad Lou Holtz Urban told me they continued to talk for probably up to another hour 
The wow. next week, Lou Holtz called Urban Meyer and offered him the wide receiver position at Notre Dame. Naturally, he accepted it, and it was one of the real big, big breaks his entire coaching career. So that's one of my favorite stories of Urban Meyer, without question. Uh, and, of course, they have stayed in contact ever since then. And, in fact, when I heard him speak just last week, he mentioned to this day the two biggest mentors that have really helped him in his career, this is Urban Meyer's career, have been Earl Bruce and Lou Holtz. And uh, if you want a couple mentors, those are not too bad, those two guys. Not right. too shabby. And Skip Holtz sounds like an amazing friend as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No kidding. Guy, and uh, I mean, he's of course he played football under his dad at Notre Dame. That would not be easy playing football for your dad. No, it would not. If your dad's at the Lou Holtz, that would not be easy. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, listeners, I want to be very, I want very sensitive to Jack's schedule here. For more, more information about Jack, including how to have him speak at your organization or event, please visit his website at www.jackpark.com. Mm-hmm. Well, Jack. We want to thank you so much. It was an honor having you on our podcast tonight. Thank you so much, Jack. It's been my pleasure. I look forward to it. Uh, Kevin, Stephanie, thank you very much. And uh, it's been my pleasure to be with you. Hey, I hope we can do this again sometime. I would love that. Thank you, sir. Bye. Listeners, if you like what you just saw, like what you just heard, please go to iTunes, go to YouTube and subscribe, rate, review this podcast. That's the only way we'll be able to continue to produce this. Where else can they go, Stephanie? They can go to kevinandsteph.com. That's all I know, though. So, is that it? You crushed it. Yes, crushed it. Thank you, listeners. The story of my life, I give I spend love until she's broken.